Hello and welcome to another episode of Build Back Better. I'm Dawn Lyle from For The Region. Today I'm really delighted to be talking to Tegrin Jones. Welcome Tegrin. Tegrin is the Chair of the Pembrokeshire Public Services Board and also Chief Executive of Pembrokeshire Coast National Park. So some big exciting responsibilities there. Thanks so much for joining us Tegrin. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, uh, Boroda, good morning. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. So I really want to just start at the beginning with an idiot's guide, I suppose, to the whole idea of a public services board. We know that these were established, I think, by the Future Generations Commissioner in the Act. But can you start from the beginning and tell us what is a public services board? Yeah, you're, you're correct. The, uh, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act has an architecture, if you like, that, that requires uh, uh, certain things to happen. And on each local authority area, there is a public uh, services board. And the public services board seeks to bring members of the public service, but also third and private sector where appropriate, uh, uh, together in order to guide the process uh, for the act. Um, so there are uh, four statutory members who are listed um, and they would be the local authority, the health board, um, natural resources Wales and the fire and rescue authority. There are also some named organisations that are members such as the police, the police and crime commissioner, um, the third sector representative organisations and then there are invited members and in, in Pembrokeshire, the Pembrokeshire Coast National Park Authority is one of those invited members uh, but also we have the uh, Port of Milford Haven, Planets, another one um, and there. So we, we come together in order to guide the process of um, um, delivering uh, uh, the key elements of the Act. And the couple of, of tasks that are, have been outlined in the Act that is, is under the uh, remit of the Public Service Board is, is one to complete a well-being assessment for the area and then uh, to use that well-being assessment then to inform the development of a well-being plan and the setting of well-being goals. So we are at the time now of just commencing the second round of that process. So uh, the Act has, has essentially been in existence for um, in a practical delivery sense for about four or five years. So um, Pembrokeshire, um, working with Carmarthenshire and Ceredigion in this case, is currently collaborating and starting a process of identifying the well-being assessment. So we will get a better idea of what the issues impacting on the well-being of the population uh, of the area are going to be. So, you know, that will be um, health, uh, employment, uh, well-being, access to green space, um, um, whole sorts of economic and uh, uh, issues there. And that uh, is a process that we will engage with until next May, when we will publish that assessment and then we will spend the following year then developing a well-being plan um, uh, for the area which we will collaborate with uh, members of the PSB but also other organisations as well to uh, um, um, develop that work. So it's all about how we measure and build well-being then across our 
counties and across the region. And you've mentioned a few of the things there, like access to green space and health and employment. It's a very lively conversation, I think, across Wales and also globally, when we're talking about what, what makes a well-being economy, what, what do we mean when we talk about well-being, and finding new ways to measure that, I suppose, is part of the challenge and then thinking about actively things that organizations can do to address population well-being yeah it, it's been it's a, it's a challenge because uh, the act introduces a new way of thinking and it is very challenging to uh, for organizations to work together particularly larger organizations um, there because in addition to having to meet the act they have a whole range of statutory responsibilities and sometimes those responsibilities appear to take an organization into one direction while um it, it, it sort of they need to take a slightly different approach. There's also one of the benefits of the Act is, is to try and introduce an element of the long term, um, because there are ways of working that are identified as part of, of, of the Act. And, and one is, is, is prevention, long term collaboration. But obviously having words written down in a piece of legislation is one thing, delivering in practice. And you know, I think all organizations find it quite difficult because it's the old saying, you know, um, if I was traveling there, I wouldn't necessarily start from here. Therefore, we've all got a historic legacy in one sense. And, you know, one of the areas we've looked at a few times in Pembrokeshire has been co-location of services taking the view that probably we've got um, a surplus of buildings and therefore whether um, there's an opportunity to uh, bring organizations together and it is very challenging because um, quite often there are terms and conditions linked to how people occupy buildings there are lease requirements etc then and what is possibly suitable for the National Park Authority may not be suitable for the health board or the fire service um, and there so um, you know there are uh, lots of, of hurdles to get over but in some respects in the early years one of the benefits of the public service board is to bring senior leaders together and actually, quite often, possibly the bigger benefits have been the, the sort of um, softer, more intangible elements where issues have, have opened up and, and, and been resolved um, just for, from developing that, that element. So um, I think it's a work in progress. Uh, and they, I think we've learned a lot in the first cycle, and hopefully we can build on that as we take it to the next cycle and, and beyond. I think that really illuminates kind of the key challenge around collaboration, because we all know in theory, don't we, that collaboration is a great idea. And in theory, um, you know, it, it, it sounds eminently sensible, but actually that's the real challenge. New ways of working and competing priorities and um, and opening things up and having those relationships of trust. So I appreciate what you said there about actually sometimes it's, it's just those having those relationships among senior leaders, awareness of what other partners are working on and perhaps opportunities for collaboration 
emerge from that. What are the things that you're most proud of from, you know, the establishment of the PSB and its, its work over the last few years? What would you say are sort of the things that you can be most proud of in that time? I think, you know, when we set our well-being plan, uh, um, one of the areas where I think a lot of, of uh, um, PSBs in the area highlighted were areas like uh, social prescribing, um, which I think has been very much a challenge, you know, from a National Park Authority perspective, since I've been in the role, we've been trying to make the case of the benefit of the outdoors as, as a health and well-being resource. And from our perspective, appeared to have a bit of a brick wall with the sort of health sector there. Um, and one of the things we've done in uh, uh, in Pembrokeshire, and, and I think all in Carmarthenshire and Ceredigion as well, is set up a group under the leadership of the Director of Public Health um, um, to take this forward. Now, COVID intervened to some extent, so it probably hasn't made as much progress as it, as it would have, but I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that it will make progress. So it sort of illustrated possibly from our perspective where we were trying to make the case for another sector. It's always been flipped on its head. And now we're being challenged by that sector to contribute towards it. So um, I think I, I have confidence there. You know, I think there's been quite positive work we've done um, collaboratively on employment um, and providing placements for young people. Um, and they're led by uh, Pembrokeshire College and DWP in Pembrokeshire and then provided opportunities there. And, you know, more recently, there was a really positive meeting um, between the HR leads for all the organisations who came together in order to have discussions about what the staffing and staff wellbeing issues were in relation to COVID and particular moving forward. And I think, from what I, although I wasn't present myself, the feedback from that meeting was tremendously positive. So you've got, you know, entirely new agendas such as as remote meetings, people working from home, which has sort of entirely changed the perspective and, and the issues that that sector, uh, the HR sector is, is facing. So to bring all the HR leads together and for them to share their experiences and, and work from there, I think they, they were positive. So in an early stage, I think they are reasonably small wins, but I think, you know, I think it's, it's a matter of building blocks over a period of time. Yes, and as you say, it is about a matter of thinking for the long term. Those sound like um, good steps forward. One of the conversations we have a lot for the region is around procurement and the importance of local supply chains, foundational economy and local sourcing. And I suppose the PSB is a one forum where some of the big anchor institutions come together. Has Pembrokeshire PSB looked at procurement and any opportunities for collaboration on that? Procurement and, and, and supply chains have been an issue of discussion, but um, possibly the other area where I think there's quite potential, which involves procurement, is um, the drive now uh, for greater decarbonisation. Um, and we recently commissioned a report uh, um, just to get a better idea where each organisation was on their decarbonisation journey um, there. And, you know, a group is, is set up now in order for each of the organisations to learn from, from each other. So I think 
you know, procurement from a, from a local supply chain, from a, a cost efficiency, but also from a decarbonisation agenda is going to be very much an issue that lots of organisations have to uh, grapple with. And in one sense, it raises the issue. There are a couple of areas where I sense that um, other legislation needs to catch up with the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, um, and possibly procurement is one of those. Um, there. So I think we need to be in a position where we don't necessarily take the low cost option from a procurement point of view, but put a greater value on other issues there. You know, um, you know, one of the other areas where I think uh, um, legislation doesn't particularly help is, is, is data and the sharing of information there and uh, organizations are quite rightly uh, protective of information but you know we've, we've, we've had presentations from the police for example who have highly relevant data about incidents there who obviously we don't know the individuals involved but that information is also if, it, if it's overlaid with the work of say the fire service and local authorities etc there there's a lot that can be learned and shared from that point of view, but legislation doesn't always help, or, or possibly it's our interpretation of legislation not always helping there. So breaking down those barriers uh, um, in areas like procurement, data, et cetera, I think would, would speed the process of uh, joint working and collaboration. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, um learning best practice from what others are doing and sometimes other organizations are being quite innovative and pioneering within existing legislation and can sort of shine a light on what other organizations can learn from um, and it's the great benefit of, of partnership working in that way so that's really great to hear so you're a passionate advocate for Pembrokeshire and as chief executive of Pembrokeshire Coast National Park you're in charge of one of Pembrokeshire's massive assets what are you excited about as we hopefully emerge from Covid um, what do you feel are the kind of key opportunity areas for Pembrokeshire um, over the next few years yeah the the, the last year has been uh, very challenging for us in, 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 you know, in some respects, the National Park wasn't really at the acute end of, of dealing with COVID in the same way as, as obviously the health sector and local authorities were. Um, however, in March of 2000, when lockdown was threatened, what we found was that one of the places everybody ran to were the National Parks. Um, and I think it highlighted, uh, one, it created a tremendous amount of a problem at that time uh, um, and there, but it highlighted the value that people place on, on national parks and the outdoors. We found ourselves in a very strange position of closing the coast path, which is one of our major assets, um, and basically uh, spending a great deal of time on the media um, telling people not to come. On the Opposite side of that, I think during lockdown, I think a lot of local people appreciated their local landscape as well. I think this might have been the case across the country, but certainly we saw um, um, on a local basis an increase in the number of people using footpaths and possibly that hadn't been used uh, uh, for some time or certainly not, not to the degree. So um, so we, we coming out of that has been quite 
interesting um, there. And people, once areas reopened, people have benefited and enjoyed coming. So last summer was, for the period that we were able to open, was a tremendously busy uh, a summer and uh, everything suggests that this year will be even busier, uh, certainly over the Easter period and the bank holidays uh, that have just been um, half term a couple of weeks ago, we found out that um, um, everything was was very, uh, very busy. So, you know, in, in one sense, it's a really positive because we're able to possibly attract a different audience. Um, and it's been one of our aspirations for some time to widen access to the National Park and to show uh, people who might not traditionally come uh, uh, the benefits of the outdoors and what can, can be done. Um, it's not without its share of issues, you know, and, and you know, we have a, a, a persistent problems of littering and, um, you know, for example, the uh, uh, use of um, plethora of, of illegal camping there, which is, is creating difficult. So it puts a bit of a challenge for us to um, educate people and to support people uh, uh, to enjoy it. But, um, and, you know, it, it's, I think it's brought into focus for an area where tourism is really important, that um, we need to do more in order to try and get people to explore different areas. Um, I, Tembe will always be popular there and part of our work over over recent uh, 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 over the past year has been to try and encourage people to visit other places within Pembrokeshire you know Pembrokeshire is has got 50 60 excellent beaches in addition to the three in Tenby uh, and there so we're encouraging people to uh, um, um, explore different areas and I, I think it's it it is really uh, popular. So um, I think our communications process was actually pretty effective last year. And actually we're, we're gearing that to try and disperse people and encourage people to, to, to visit uh, other areas. And, you know, I think it provides an opportunity for businesses in areas that perhaps attract fewer people uh, uh, to benefit as well. Yes, that's come up before in other conversations, this, this, this problem of honeypot locations, which are incredibly busy. And actually, there are so many hidden gems um, that people don't know they're there and don't know how to get there. And how can we spread people out? And I suppose from what you've said, during lockdown, the residents of Pembrokeshire have been lucky enough to have the whole of Pembrokeshire to themselves and uh, are having to adapt now to the influx of huge numbers of visitors again. So I guess that brings lots of challenges. Transport is a, is a key issue there. You talked about broadening access to the National Park, to the outdoors, um, I guess for local people as well as visitors coming in. Um, does Pembrokeshire Coast National Park get involved in conversations about transport links? And what do you think is needed to improve accessibility of the National Park? Yeah, I, I think transport is, is a, a problem and a problem at different levels for us. And uh, um, we would certainly work in partnership with the local authority and others as part of the Greenways partnership, which has been uh, uh, fairly successful over the years and there. But, you know, at, at one level, I think public transport to Pembrokeshire is not that great. Um, you know, I, it, it, it is a cause of um, 
disappointment that not more effort is done to uh, make the case for electrification of the line to Pembrokeshire. Um, I know it's been very challenging to get electrification to Swansea um, and there. However, it, it almost appears as if you know, the aspiration to take it further west isn't there. And I think we should be doing and making the case. There's, there's probably a good um, visitor economy argument, but equally, you know, we have some very high profile businesses in the uh, um, in the Milford Haven there. I reckon it would benefit them if we had that sort. So I certainly would like to see that. It means that probably 99% of the visitors to Pembrokeshire travel by car. So we're not making it that easy uh, for people. Then at another level, um, I think once people get here, um, there we need better uh, um, public transport there. And it is you know, very challenging. It seems as if as we rationalize and centralize some activities uh, and there, we're also cutting public transport. Um, so actually, I think it should be one or the other, really, and an investment in public transport would be much better. You know, one of the, the real positive successes has been the coastal bus network, uh, which has been running for a number of years, which is, I think it is subsidized quite a bit uh, um, there, but, you know, is invaluable as a resource to help people enjoy uh, a, a healthy walking economy. Uh, that contributes uh, across the county. And then at the more micro level, I think we need to be taking a different approach and encouraging people to get out of their cars. You know, we, we've had a long-standing um, issue of trying to resolve parking issues at places like St. Justinian's and Aberavey. And you know, the, the National Park Authority has been advocating in the case of St. Justinian's and St. Justinian's, for anybody who doesn't know, is the launch uh, place for the boating industry uh, to Ramsey Island. And um, there and, you know, St. David's is a couple of miles away. Then, you know, encouraging people to park and ride from St. David's would save parking chaos and people traveling down a tremendously narrow uh, uh, lane, particularly with a lifeboat station that's need, which needs access there. But that has been very challenging because people seem to want to drive as close as possible to the site. Now, in one sense, you, we need to take it and think of travel as an experience. So, you know, we can create a park and ride system from St. David's where traveling down is part of the experience and part of it, you know, I, there are plenty of other places in the world there. So, you know, we need to take a more positive view on, on transport and how to get people to places that don't have a negative impact. But one of the other positive things we've done in partnership with Hampshire County Council is to put in a number of EV charging points. So, um, uh, by uh, in a couple of months time, we hope that all the national parks uh, uh, paid car parks um, will have an uh, electric vehicle charging point. So, um, you know, so we're beginning to make that 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 transition. And of course, there's some interesting and possible exciting developments in terms of hydrogen happening as well. Uh, and, and therefore, of which is more you know, with the port and, and uh, uh, the local authority. So, um, you know, I think we need a fresh approach to transport. Um, where, and, you know, it's shown it can be done. You know, our colleagues in Snowdonia um, have sort of uh, made some brave steps 
uh, around uh, uh, Snowdon in terms of, of using park and ride there. So, um, you know, I, I, I think there's far more we could do in order to create a more pleasurable experience and deal with some of these transport issues. Yes, and I think that's the same across the region. We were commenting on some of the real popular beaches on Gower. Um, the car parks just fill up by, you know, half past nine in the morning. And in the olden days, you used to get on a bus from Swansea City Centre to go down to Caswell and Langland, and it's, it's doable. And then it made me think of holidays in Crete, where actually it's not a bus, it's a sort of train we call it the happy train the kids love to get on the happy train that takes you from the town to the lake or wherever it is and as you say making it part of the experience um there are probably lots of options yeah um i'm going to ask you now as we sort of wrap this up um what your perspective is on the opportunities for our region so for the region covers the four counties as you know from neath patal but down to pembrokeshire i wonder what your perspective is regionally sitting as you do in the west um what do you think about the wider region do you think much at all about swansea um, and further east um, and what do you think are what would you love to see for southwest wales i think it's always slightly confusing but what we mean by the region isn't it you know i i think there are two opportunities that i think we would like to see i'd like to see in terms of uh, uh, the region working together um the first is a, is a fresh look at tourism and an understanding that tourism i think there's a concept being developed now of uh, a, an understanding of tourism as more of a regenerative tourism um, and a tourism that takes account of a contribution to the local economy. And, you know, there is a tremendous issue of second homes uh, in, in Pembrokeshire. Um, there is an issue now of property prices being extremely high as people are wanting to, to relocate, having probably realised that they don't need to work in cities, etc., which has a positive element to it. But, you know, I think we need to create and support a tourism industry that contributes to uh, uh, the local economy and contributes to the benefits of communities, provides jobs that are decent paid, less seasonal. And we do take a very positive view on some of the problem hotspots areas so that we're creating less damage there. And, you know, a lot of the Pembrokeshire tourism economy is locally owned, which is really positive. Um, but, you know, we need to make sure that uh, the benefits of the industry are dispersed amongst the area, amongst the communities there. Uh, so there, that is one. And then the other area is, is decarbonisation. I think we have the opportunity of creating a far greener environment. Uh, and there, I think we need to be at the forefront of doing that, you know, and there are really positive developments in the Milford Haven in terms of uh, renewable energy. Um, and obviously there's going to be a challenge of, of moving from a, a, a carbon-based economy of energy to a decarbonised uh, uh, one there. Um, and I think we need to be at the forefront of, of doing that. If we're able to get investment in stuff like broadband, then you can create a working economy uh, uh, where people are able to live in pleasant places there and hopefully that will have a positive impact on schools if you like and, and 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 bring back local shops there so i think if we invest in a more and look 
to value what a decarbonized economy can produce, then I think some of the, the social and community benefits that we appear to have lost might actually become a bit more viable there. So I think there is a good argument, apart from your, your, your global need to tackle the problem anyway, um, there, I think there are local benefits, you know, and linked to that, I think, you know, supporting uh, industries like agriculture to make that transition to a different way of farming, possibly, you know, taking account of issues like Brexit and the challenges that, that come of that one. Um, you know, I think we can sort of re regenerate our communities with some of our key industries uh, uh, um, taking a lead in terms of that. Yeah, I think you've um, covered some of the real opportunity areas and the key sectors for the region, tourism, energy, um, the food system, which all needs to adapt and evolve to address the, the challenge of decarbonisation. Uh, for the region, we, we have this vision of, of South West Wales as, as the well-being region of the UK, where we're leading the way in that decarbonisation journey, married with, you know, the fantastic natural environment, and you're a, a key steward of all of that, and the quality of life that you've mentioned, where people actually have the choice to move out of the cities and um, enjoy a different pace of life, as long as we can get the digital infrastructure in place and these are not small challenges but hopefully things that we are working on together across South West Wales. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us this morning, Tegrin. And uh, I share a lot of your enthusiasms. I think we're very much like-minded on those things. And thanks for talking to us about the work of Pembrokeshire Public Services Board. That sounds like it's working really well. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing how that develops with the new wellbeing assessment and wellbeing plan. Um, but for now, for all of you listening, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, do keep in touch with us. Drop your comments in the chat subscribe to this channel to catch up with future recordings um, but for now thank you very much to you tegrin and to all our listeners bye for now <laughs>